previously on Something Who. So hello and welcome to the podcast where we take something old, a Doctor Who story from the original series, compare it with something new, one from the new series, and add something borrowed, a sketch, to make Something Who. Yes, it's Something Who podcast. I'm Richard and we're back to discuss a couple of Doctor Who stories about cut-off villages. So first we'll examine third Doctor story, The Demons, from season eight. And after that we'll have a look at 13th Doctor story, Village of the Angels, from the most recent series. So with me to make this a local podcast for local people, we have, as our special guest, cosplayer and Who fan about town, Ellie, also known as TARDIS Monkey. Hello! We've got science and astronomy writer, Giles. It's me. And graphic designer and Dalek expert, Gav. Hello. A scheduling issue means that Paul is sadly missing this time, but we hope he'll be back soon. Okay, so, Village of the Angels by... Chris Chibnall and Maxine Alderton in that order. Although, I don't know, my, my view was that the dialogue was rather good in this. <laughs> and directed, as, as, as mentioned previously, by Jamie Magnus Stone. Although it does start off with the, a repeat of the me and your beautiful as yet unborn child. So maybe that's the Chris Chibnall <laughs> bit. Any particular thoughts? Who wants to go first? I mean, I guess we can all say where we were when we first saw it, because it's not that long ago. Mm. Now, who, who was to say something about it? Kevin McNally is brilliant. Yeah. Mm. I think he's, he's wonderful so as Jericho. I think it's such a brilliant character that's come mm. from the whole of Flux in general, actually. Mm. Yeah. And there's, there's something, I think, in particular, when the Doctor and Jericho first get together... Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a real kind of uh, there's a there's a nice succession of dialogue. It reminds me of Villa Diodati in in the kind that kind of interplay, and it feels yep, like yep. actually it's Jodie's finest hour. Uh, well, that and Villa Diodati, it kind of really feels like that's what she's really good at, and, and that, that, mm-hmm. that shows her character off at the be- uh, at the best. And it's it's a shame that that, that Maxine Alston's only had two goes during that era because it seems like they're both so excellent. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, both of the stories she's done, I think, are my favourite of the Jodie era. She she really gets the Thirteenth Doctor because I love the bit in Village of the Angels where Jericho's like, "Oh, I'm Professor Eustatius Jericho," and she's like, "Oh, that's a great word, Eustatius. You know, thirty three on a Scrabble board." <laughs> and I I love that kind of humour. And uh, you know, Jodie's Doctor really sort of shines with those quips and that's why I think they've got such a good chemistry between each other because Jericho wants to learn everything, wants to get more knowledge and the Doctor's willing to sort of teach him and banter with him and yeah, I I mean it just they hit it off straight away for me Yeah, I think that's one of the things that stands out with this episode is that it's witty Yeah, and uh, I think a sharp wit is sadly lacking a lot of the time in I mean not just Jodie's doctor but specifically feel it when the doctor isn't spouting the words of a genius mm. 
because the Doctor should be most of the time. Yeah, that scene where where the Doctor and Jericho meet is terrific. Yeah. Really mm. enjoyed that. I was mildly frustrated the pre-titles scene because there's that absolutely beautiful concept where uh, Claire is it yeah. has mm-hmm. to lie about her yes. age. Yeah. Yeah. And and you get the superb moment of show don't tell mm. where she yeah. lies about her age and it sets the lie detector off and it's just spot on. But then Jericho comes over and explains <laughs> back to us what's just happened and why it's important and it's deeply yeah. frustrating because it turns on its head. And now I wouldn't like to conjecture as to how that happened, but it just feels like somebody came along and went, well, what if the audience didn't fully understand this? I, I better just write some exposition to ensure that how clever this is is not lost on anyone. And that, that, was, that was a minor irritation. But yeah. There's loads of really good lines in this. Mm. There's funny stuff and inventive stuff. I like the angel yeah. catching fire when mm. <laughs> when she chucks it. And she says, brilliant, made it worse. I, I love the I love the graphic of sort of when she crunches up the paper and you see the mm. angel like squish up yeah. and everything mm. as well. I think that's really clever. And I, I, I do like um I think yeah, the the graphics in this are brilliant, sort of mm. uh, when they're stood on the edge of the village and you see the stars and everything, mm. and it's just like going mm. into nothingness. I I love that because it's that sense of like oh we're trapped, crap kind of thing. What mm, do we do? Yeah. And I love those kind of like bottleneck um, sort of stories kind of thing where the, you know mm. they can't get out of a situation. They've got to think mm. their way out. Mm-hmm. It does feel like I mean, as well as the. It's it's really hard to tell. I mean, you know, I I don't want to constantly have a go at Chris Chibnall about things, but it does feel like the you know these these two stories. When you see the name Maxine Alderton on the credits, everything goes up, goes up several several notches. Not you know the dialogue sings, and the other thing that is is very rare across all of all of twenty first century Doctor Who in general. Is it seems to be very concerned with its main job is to scare the bejesus out of you and just have lots of lots of clever and creepy ideas and you know just the whether it is just her but it just feels like these two stories just get the idea of okay we're going to do things we're going to you know we are going to kill people in horrible ways and yeah. you know that you're going to feel <laughs> you're going to feel quite bad about. <laughs> I love the bit where they, you know, where the angels start ringing the doorbell. I mean, that's just classic. That's just <laughs> yeah. perfect, Doctor Who. You're in this, you're in this situation of these horrible monsters around the house, and the, you know that just the, you know, the bathos thing of you know, oh, they're ringing the doorbell. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it starts off funny and then then just gets creepy as they keep on ringing. Yeah, and I lo- I love the bit as well when the angel sort of uses their voice as well against them and talks mm. to them in a really creepy way. Mm. Yeah. Just on the subject of perhaps do we extrapolate too much from what little we know about who writes what? Because I am reminded of a couple of early examples from the Russell T. Davis era when people said when it was a Paul Cornell script, Mm. the quality went up. Yeah. And it it transpired that they were essentially page one rewrites by Mm. Russell T. Davis. Yeah, human nature. All of the... Yeah, all of the credit that was being ascribed to Paul Cornell's apparently different script was entirely people's perceptions because mm. it was a different name on the front. 
Yeah. And it turned out it, they were both Russell scripts. So it, it would be fascinating to yeah. know the truth of it because, mm. I mean, I guess we'll probably never know. I mean, it's, fu- it's funny because you saying that, like, with both their names on it, I don't know. I, I think I know at what points Chris Chibnall takes over and Maxine does her stuff because all the village stuff really is coherent, really sort of ties in. Mm. And it's a shame because it's a shame the Flux stuff doesn't, apart from the Division stuff at the end, but we'll talk about that later, like the stuff with Bell suddenly just gets shoved in the middle and you're mm-hmm. kind of like taken out of the the whole spooky yeah. thing that they're all trapped mm. in this house kind of thing because it's like oh crap yeah we need to explain about the flux plot because we've only got six episodes in which to mm. do it kind of mm. thing mm. and it's a shame because you know if they could have had like i don't know bell it ties in with the angels that brings her into the village or something that just incorporates it but it just mm. feels like somebody's gone cut slot right that's that done yeah. right back to the main action kind of thing mm. yeah. and it's peculiar as well because we have a situation where there's an ongoing serialized storyline mm. and some of that is woven seamlessly into the episodic stories yeah. and mm. in in the, the village of the angels you've got the motives for the angels culminates nicely and it doesn't feel forced yeah. and it ties all into the division yeah. but as you say the bell stuff and the um Azure. thank you <laughs> yeah they're just so crowbarred in mm. it, it feels like they just don't belong mm. in this story and it, it would have been better just to not have them in it at all and yeah. pick up mm. their storylines elsewhere because it does feel like we're watching two different things at once it's almost mm. like you're watching mm. the telly and something on your phone at the same time yeah <laughs> yeah I'm wary as as Gav is of you know, I think they're two great stories and they they both seem to hit quite a few of the same buttons of being quite quite gothic and Hinchcliffe-y and you know this and Dear Darty and 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 they it seems a bit of a coincidence that they're the two with Maxine Alderton's name but on the other hand it feels like if if that was all that Chibnall had done was insert cut and shunt these these scenes to pick up the ongoing plot. You feel like he would have given Maxine Alderton. It would have been Maxine Alderton and Chris Chibnall, not the yeah. not the other way around. Or you know, he might not even have taken the credit. I knew. I mean, because I I whole wholeheartedly think like towards the end as well with the division stuff. I mm. it feels like to me that they work together maybe on that bit. Well, it must have yeah. come out of the you know, and that's so fundamental to the yeah. structure of the season, I guess, and what they're doing with the overall plot. That that I'm sure the. Yeah, the mechanics of that will worked out well in advance. Mm. The the bell stuff. This is the first time I've watched any of Flux since watching it complete on broadcast. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to go back and see the earlier stories of the characters before their final payoff, mm. if you can call it that. And it was deeply unrewarding because <laughs> you you would hope that having seen a character's journey. Mm that going back and and seeing their early stages and the choices that they made and how that informed where they got to would be interesting to delve back into their backstory but it i just found it really hollow and frustrating and i i didn't get any sort of sense of characterization or or direction and i i do wonder about these rumors of which if any characters might have been there was a rumour for a while that Vinda was going to be Captain Jack and then there was the rumour that the the other villain would have been Captain Jack. Mm-hmm. 
And I did think that, Mm. yeah, the serpent potentially was going to be John Barrowman. So I've heard. Which might have made more sense. I don't know. But I was thinking, would Belle's quest have made any difference if she'd been a, a significant character from the Doctor's past? Not that I'm saying she would ever have been Captain Jack, but uh, I, I'm just trying to isolate what it was that was so kind of vacuous about that whole quest that these two characters were on that never felt... I was never invested in it. The issue is that there's no climax to it, is it? Because when they come together in the final episode... You know, oh, oh great, we've actually come together, and then within about fifteen seconds, they're being split up again and sent off in different directions. Mm. And it's like, you know, if yeah. it was such a big good quest, they said, no, no, we're never going to to leave each other's mm. presence again for the rest of our lives because you know we've learnt how disastrous that was, or or something like that. But it's like, oh hi, yeah, you know, I'll see you in a bit. Yeah, it's just mm. you know, it did, I don't, it just didn't feel. Yeah, I think I think that impacts more as well because when that climax doesn't happen especially sort of at the end of village as well because you we've got the big cliffhanger of the 13th doctor turning into a yes. weeping angel and you think bloody mm. hell like that would that would stick yeah. with you for a whole week as a kid yeah. you'd be absolutely yeah. fretting about the doctor but then you get into the title sequence then you get this extra bit yeah. with mm. vinder and i just remember going why why was that there because mm. you could have just left that until next mm. week because you wanted to leave it on jody yeah. turning into the weeping absolutely. angel absolutely i I, yeah. I think that's one of the worst misjudgments i've seen in the entire you know, in, mm. <laughs> in Doctor Who full stop, to be honest. It's just, you know, it's just like you have this amazing cliffhanger there yep. and then you completely botch it by sticking in a couple of minutes of stuff that really doesn't go anywhere. And and it does that weird thing of um, the mm. title sequences. The end titles are remixed, aren't they? Yeah. So you're immediately mm. wrong-footed mm. and then it breaks up, mm. you know, like the idea that the flux is corrupting things. Yeah. The image yeah. pixelates and then you get this mid credit scene. Mm. And a really inconsequential, boring. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah. you just, it sucks all of the tension out. I know it's one of my bugbears, but, you know, my pet bugbears about things, but it, it does feel like they're, the characters are both like generic, chibnall, hard bitten, spacey people. When he's writing stuff in the future, it always veers towards the generic for me. It doesn't feel like he, he's ever got anything terribly well defined about what's what's special about them. So they're like those two characters out of the Ghost Monument. Yes. Yeah. 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 All the ones from Rancid or Cats Meet or um, etc. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that took me a second then. <laughs> I heard something about cat meat. Uh, Rancid yeah. or Cats Meet, whatever the whatever the finale of series Rans ten. Calls something. Rancid or Cats That remains the only Doctor Who. The only extant Doctor Who mm-hmm. that I haven't seen all of because oh. I passed out halfway through the first time it was on Okay. and the subsequent attempts to rewatch it I turned it off <laughs> so, I would say but um, it's got Phyllis Logan in it but, <laughs> but unfortunately yeah. I was going to say Gav that, that, that I was very impressed by the way you've embraced the something who concept of, of, of not having seen <laughs> Uh, you know, thinks this is original broadcast, but um, but yeah, you don't have you, you didn't even watch it on its original broadcast, so that's 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 even no. further. Mm. Yeah, so I I mean I could have watched it today, but I watched Space Pirates episode two. Instead, <laughs> so it's my priorities. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, getting back to the good stuff, um, yes. it yes. is yeah yeah the, the main the main plot. It does <laughs> and that yes, it does feel like it's um it's interesting. I I thought it's clever because it the weepy angels when they came in were such a clever concept, and then they gradually piled more and more complications mm. onto them yeah. about what you know what the rules were. You know the original rules mm. were very simple, and then it felt like it was a bit of diminishing returns. This one manages to absolutely compare to their last proper outing, which I guess was Angels Take Manhattan. Yeah. All that time all that time ago. It it feels like yes, they've ingested all of these rules and yet they come up with different and clever things to do with pretty much all of them instead you know, and, and put a new spin on it. So you have the you have the thing of them coming through screens and being in drawings yeah. and and so on. And but it doesn't ever yeah, it doesn't overcomplicate matters. You know exactly yeah. what the threat is at every at every moment. And I like it asks you know answers the question on sort of like what happens if a angel gets you twice, and then it's mm. like oh you just die. Okay, right. Though now yes. we know that sort of that's a new threat kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, poor Gene and um, oh, I forgot the because he's the Silurian man, isn't he from Warriors Deep? Oh, oh good yes. lord! Yes. Yeah, he, yeah. he plays. I can't remember which mm. Silurian he is, but he's one of them. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Never uh, but yes. yeah, both both of them, you know, get zapped. That's that's cool yes. to see because obviously, it, like you know, once they get sent back in time, you think, mm. oh well, you know, the angels can't touch them now. Oh wait, no, mm. they can. <laughs> yeah. The only thing that's slightly grated about that scene, I as I said, I'm I'm all in favour of okay, here's doing horrible and unexpected things to characters, but it's just the fact the fact he gets into it is such a horror movie stereotype. Yeah, of, of like, him oh, saying, no, oh, oh, him saying yeah. oh, it's just a statue and walking past it, having just been zapped past, zapped back into time by another angel, only yeah. presumably a couple of hours before in his personal timeline. The fact he's so blasé and so oh, it's nothing is. Um, it did make me laugh when the little girl watches him die. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he never liked <laughs> me anyway. She, and then she's just a dead-eyed stare, <laughs> and she goes, "He was never nice to me anyway." Mm. Oh my god, she's a psychopath. <laughs> oh yeah, so <laughs> great a great actress, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, she's brilliant. Mm, yeah. She's absolutely brilliant. So the old guy is Gerald, who's played by Vincent Brimble, and he played Tarpuck in Warriors oh, of the Deep. Wow. Blimey. Okay. That's amazing. <laughs> That's, I'm, I'm amazed. <laughs> Good lord. Is Matthew Corbett in this one? She's <laughs> <laughs> curious. No, no, but Sooty is. Um <laughs> I mean, I guess something else that Chris Chimmel, Chimmel has already has almost certainly written in this one is the bits that are a direct parallel with the demon. So, mm. reverse of polarity, the neutron flow. Mm. I mean, of course, he doesn't quite say that in the demons, but it's pretty close. And then also, you've got the the barrier and then the prodding mm. with the stick and and, yeah. and, and so on. Yeah. So, I, I doubt that Maxine Alderton would have been up on the demons. Opening scene in both is someone stumbling around in a churchyard. Yes. Looking for okay. Yeah. In the first one, it's looking for the dog, not the missing child. But yeah, yeah. you've got the psychic research, which it seems to be psychic, but it's science. Mm. Yes. You've got statues that can move. Yep. True. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've got an ancient burial site that turns out to be a spaceship. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good lord! Yes. <laughs> and there were quite so many. I mean, whoever chose <laughs> these two stories is a genius. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well done, Ali. <laughs> mm. 
<laughs> I was like, oh, I wonder why I picked those. <laughs> <laughs> Just to, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to l- let one story off the hook and, and yeah. not lay into the other one in a similar style, but yeah. does this make any sense? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the village is isolated. Yeah. But there is a barrier. What's the barrier between two versions of the same village? Yeah, I never got quite understood this because when they get to one end of the village, there's just nothingness, it's just space. Yes. But then yeah. when they get to the burial site, it's two time zones that have collided yeah. together. That's what I don't get, yeah. Is it sort of, you know, entropy that, like, the barrier's crumbling and it's going to get up to a certain point in the two time zones and I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. No, I didn't know. I don't think there was... Because I was looking for an explanation for it this time round and I didn't see one. Mm. Because it was it was that thing of... I mean, it, it looked like it was the writers showing their workings in that if you've got a story where the angels are zapping people back through time, yeah. then you end up isolating your characters in two different places. So unless they've got a time telephone then uh, you, you can't have any dramatic conclusion. Mm. So this thing's contrived as there's a barrier between the time zones. But it's mm. confusing because that's not, I don't think, the barrier that's separating the village from the outside world, which right. I think is that the village is essentially lifted out of time and space, yes. but the the mm. perimeter is shrinking. Yeah. Mm. For right, some yeah, reason, yeah. we're not quite clear on, which is why... But, but the other... Quantum extraction. The extra confusion is that we're dealing with the flux as a whole and the actual Mm. consequences and behavior of the flux are never clearly defined. So I think I thought the first time round that the crumbling edge was something to do with the flux eating away Mm. at the planet. And I don't think it is. I I think kind of read it as being something to do with quantum extraction that they've, they've lifted the whole thing out and it's gradually flipping back into the real universe and they're on a, Isolated floating island of... Okay, so you think that the bits that are sort of crumbling away are being returned to Earth as they go? Yeah, I still don't understand sort of like how the time thing... Because surely they would just lift out one time zone. They wouldn't need to worry about two of them. But it's almost that kind of MacGuffin technique where it's like, oh, we need to show the little girls the old woman kind of thing. Mm. And then it was like, that's all it's used for. It's not used for any other purpose kind of thing. It feels Mm. like that scene popped into the head of one or other writer and there had to be a way to get there. Because that was a really neat idea. Mm. Although it was, I mean, you know, going straight back to... Blink, it's what's his name, who um, Sally meets and then yeah. he's in the hospital bed in the mm. next scene. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah. it's a more direct version of that. Mm. But yeah, it was nicely done. Mm. It just may not have been the most logical thing, and I'm still not a hundred percent sure. So the the angel that was hiding in Claire, yeah. the extraction team of angels came for that angel, and then yeah. that angel sold the doctor out instead. Yeah, but it, but, yes. it's, but, it's, but it's even even before that. So basically, Claire is genuinely mystic in some way, and she saw a vision of an angel in our time zone, hmm. and that then hmm. caused an angel actually to be in her somehow, which was the angel that's part of division. No, the, was the it, renegade. Was it, was it's it, the renegade one. Renegade it's the runaway yeah. yeah. one, and then. And then another angel came after her, and that was after back in time, 
Mm. And then the rest of the angels came for her back in that time zone. I think. Mm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But but of course, if they touched her, then she'd have gone, got zapped there, because that would have been the second Mm. time. I can't recall whether there's any explanation for the fact that she's had these visions, because she sees them. She's had visions of an angel yeah. and of the Doctor and of the TARDIS, and I don't know whether that ever gets picked up in later. So, whether that is just that she has got some psychic ability, whatever the Doctor. I think, who, yeah, I think she just says that she just has psychic visions, mm. and that that's literally the line that's said, yeah. and it's just kind of like, oh, okay, right, well, that's accepted, but yeah. it's never really delved into. Mm. I do quite like the fact it's not a pre- you know, the fact that the Doctor has met. Claire in the present day isn't a predestination paradox. Yes. So mm. that this is this is Claire after she's been zapped back. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that there isn't. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not the Moffat trope of okay. The reason she knew you in the present day is because she met you in mm. her past and your future, kind of thing. So I thought okay, at least it's a bit more straightforward than that. Even if it does come down to visions and yeah. things. So it is quite interesting, as one of you was saying, you know, that the the mystery that Jericho can't get his head around, well, actually, he doesn't realise it's a mystery anyway, does he, of, of her being born in the wrong time, is that is perfectly sensible when you know that there's angels involved, and yet you've got this mysticism in it as well. So that's a bit like, I suppose, with the demons, where they want it to be science, and then there's the odd bit of mysticism thrown in as well, mm. just mm. to add to the, to the, to the mm. plot line. I, I said the base is really under siege in this. I mean, you know, it's yeah. not, there's not just one or two angels. Mm. There's, there's, a, there's a whole heap of them. Yeah, I, I love the concepts as well that they're like trapped in this basement and they've got no way out and all mm. these. Like, I, I love the bit when they've done like the psychic contact link yes. between Claire and the Doctor, mm. and Jericho throws a cup of tea at the Doctor to wake her up to show that they're <laughs> surrounded by sort of all the angels and stuff. And I love going back to the contact scene. I love how beautifully sh- that's shot yeah. on the beach and everything. I think mm. it's really mm. sort of nicely atmospheric and weird because I like weird Doctor Who kind of things mm. like all in the mind like uh, Kinder and stuff and uh, yeah sort of seeing the angel talking through her is like really creepy and I, I love that mm. this story brings back that creepiness of the weeping angels because angels in Manhattan it's not one of my favourite stories mm. so to have the weeping angels back that are just like yep we're just going to zap you back in time because that's what we do and spook mm. you out is yeah that's why I think this is quite high up on my list of angel stories as well mm. I like how they talked about the the sort of gratuitous nature of the angel's torment uh, Mm. because it kind of rationalizes one of those otherwise difficult to reconcile issues with the angels is that you kind of always got the feeling that they were probably always capable of getting people and they weren't trying very hard Mm -hmm. and normally you have to just accept that as a dramatic conceit Mm -hmm. but in this story it, it suggests that they like watching people suffer and playing with them yeah and it makes it more believable when you see these shots of the angel almost deliberately slowly approaching in steps because mm. there's been there's been mm. plenty of times where you've thought maybe the blinking's a little bit inconsistent here because surely if they look away for that long the angel would get them and yet it seems to have only moved six feet yeah. and mm. and you kind of think mm, the rules of this you just kind of have to gloss over but once they've said no they're they're, they're pretty unkind 
playing uh, with you. And they're, yeah. they're just doing yeah. it to mess with you. Mm. Then it, you can reconcile an awful lot of their behavior. And I like that in the cave at the end. Was it a cave? The basement. Mm. The secret, yeah, the sex secret passage. tunnel, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where the doctors, she says, I, I, I've got to turn my back and run. And, and you kind of roll your eyes thinking, well, you this, know, it's either yeah. going to be a convenient getaway or she's going to be faster than the angels. But then it becomes a plot point. Hmm. And the doctor says, well, that shouldn't have worked. And that's really creepy yeah. because hmm. then you, you think, okay, we, you, these angels actually don't function quite as in quite such a linear way as you might expect. And that hmm. was interesting. Yeah, it was a it was a nice progression of the angels. Yeah. Hmm. I love I love that bit in the tunnel as well with all the arms coming out of the mm, walls. It's yeah. just so creepy. Yeah, I really like that. I, yeah, I like how clever the Weeping Angels are. When when writers get Doctor Who monsters right, it's brilliant because I always love um, Power of the Daleks because they're just so clever and witty in sort of getting on the side of the humans and, you know, trusting them and stuff like that. And that sinister thing of the weeping angels almost playing with their food is the best way to describe mm-hmm. it. Is It's just such a great concept because, you know, that's that's what, like, a tiger would do or a lion kind of thing is play around a little bit and go, yeah, now I'm going to just eat your time energy or whatever and just send you back kind of thing because I'm done with you now. Yeah, I love that as a concept. So we've got the angel using Claire's voice just talking about the division mm. and the doctor mentions the division and I guess you know that's re-establishing in people's minds I guess that thing that was in the last episode of um, or the, of the previous series and then about five minutes later they start talking about division and then essentially from mm. down in nobody ever calls it the division anymore it's just division. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I, I wonder about that. I mean, I suppose they have to call it the division because otherwise you'd say, what's division? Is that is that is that a thing from last time or is it something different? But obviously he doesn't want to call it div- the division now. He wants to call it division because I suppose, yeah, without the article, it kind of it, it, it has a different kind of sense to it. It reminded me of the silence when yes. the silence mm. shifted in meaning yes. because one minute it was an event and then the next minute it was an order. And I think when we it was first hinted at that there was a division, yeah. that you thought is this some kind of schism in society or the mm. universe or who knows what. And it's interesting that that's how it that is how it eventually yeah. plays out, isn't it? Or sort of how it's where it is located, as it were, in between mm. yeah. universes. I often wonder how tempted if there was ever there was a notion of being tempted to to call it the celestial intervention agency Mm. and run with that whole because there's an awful lot of consternation amongst doctor who fans about the doctor working for division Mm. but you know you got the we've talked about it before the the line in the two doctors where the doctor patrick Troughton, second doctor says I do jobs for the Time Lords and it's the price I pay for my freedom. It's not a huge extension mm. of that. It, mm. It's just thrown some amnesia in and yeah. and rejigged the timeline a yeah. bit. Mm. But uh, yeah, the, the it, it's the timeless child and the pre-Hartnell doctors that test people. But I, I, they almost feel like either one of those concepts should have been fully explored, but throwing them both in at once kind of... Um, I think people might have been more invested in in the doctor having a a sort of secret past life 
to do with Time Lord missions without having to also deal with the idea that the history of 1960s Doctor Who is doesn't start when you thought it started and all of that mm. because that kind of muddied people's objections I suppose because it was sort of too, it was two lots of write, rewriting Doctor Who history yeah. thrown mm. thrown at people all in one go and I think um I think either would have been an interesting and very strong thing to explore on its own. It's why I always think it's a shame with, um, I forgot which episode it is now, but where we had that moment where we could have seen Joe Martin in action mm. uh, as the yes, Doctor yeah. kind of thing, mm. but then we get Jodie in a different yes. coat. And oh, I'm just in, like, yes, yes. yeah, and it, re- it really bugged me that because it was that moment when we, we could have gone oh, I see how this all ties in together now. Yes. But we've just got a reenactment of it and you don't get the gravitas of the situation of like how Joe's mm. doctor would have dealt with it. And yeah. yeah, whether or not, you know, she's a doctor that's part of the division and that that's a pre-Hartnell doctor, I don't know, or it's a parallel doctor, you know, whatever. You know, you could have dropped some really lovely hints to sort of like keep the imagination going because you never really want to sort of answer all the questions because otherwise you know what's the point in calling the show doctor who kind of thing but you know it would have just given enough explanation for the whole timeless child thing because i still don't really grasp the concept of it either yeah it's a shame and you know the whole division thing as well like turning jodie into a weeping angel because they want to call her back i think it's such a great concept that they're using the doctor in that way still now but then it just never comes to anything and it's always really disappointing and that's when I look back at certain episodes like Fugitive of the the Jadoon and stuff because I'm like we've got such a great actress that's playing this amazing part and she hasn't been given her time to shine and I really hope at some point maybe even if Big Finish do it at, at some stage to really establish her character because there's so much potential that we just mm. haven't seen but you know mm. there's so much going on with Jodie's regeneration coming up and all that it's so hard to bundle it all together so yeah I don't know because obviously I don't know with the last two episodes that we've got left with Jodie whether or not we'll get any more Joe Martin stuff I don't know but yeah we'll just wait and see but yeah <laughs> I mean I, th- I think she's re- you know her character is reminiscent for me of Michael Jaston you know, and he's revealed yeah, as being yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. You know, between the two incarnations. Yeah. Think, oh, there's, there's, they're going to do something with that, and then that's the last you ever hear of it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, you, I, just, I, I, you have Joe Martin look at the camera like, yeah, <laughs> like kind of thing. Like. <laughs> yeah, it's a great idea, but but, yeah. but where's it where's it going? I mean, I mean, for me, the other, the, the third thing in in your in you after your two things, Gav. You know, so so I, I can I can swallow. I think the the Doctor being tied up with the Time Lords and indeed that there's pre-Hartnell Docs I'd sooner they weren't but I could live mm-hmm. with that but it's it's the, it's the Doctor being special that kind of k- kills mm. it for me in the end That because you know that, that kind of takes away a bit from the fact that he or she has decided to make something of themselves rather than yeah. Yeah. It, it, again this predestination thing I suppose That's it, it's the it, it, the Doctor is supposed to be a kind of anti-establishment, destabilizing little person who enters these situations mm. and with the skill and knowledge and bravery and nothing else and no weapons that they can they can overcome great odds yeah. and as you say we now discover that they're you know the the founder of Time Lord society and the 
the reason that the most powerful race in the galaxy has its most powerful physiological asset and mm. the origin of all regeneration energy and all of this stuff and yeah it's uh mm. yeah it's like discovering your main characters jesus <laughs> when you just thought <laughs> they were columbo columbo is jesus <laughs> yeah yeah so. that would be a good plot twist at the end of the final episode of columbo mm. <laughs> i am jesus <laughs> <laughs> I know, you, just yeah, like the last thing he says yeah, before the title sequence of the last episode of Columbo just turns to camera and goes I'm Jesus by the way the end and then you have to re-watch all of Columbo knowing that he's the son of God and you're like well that's that's why he's so clever you see uh, I've only had one glass of wine yeah. as well. <laughs> so um, how does Jericho get got by the angel because I thought because they're, they're going to get quantum locked because they're looking at each other and then suddenly it doesn't work. Why? Why is that? I, I, I still couldn't work it out on the second attempt. He's sort of sidling past. It looks like he's got past, and then suddenly, no, he hasn't. Does it stick out his hand or something at the last minute? I can't oh. remember now. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I can't quite. Okay, well, never mind. Hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, well, I mean, it doesn't really matter, does it? It happened. Hmm. Because plot. <laughs> yes. Go. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I was just going to say. Well, the director, our director, is coming back. Uh, Jamie Magnus Stone is directing yes. the centennial, mm. the centennial special, apparently, mm. or has directed it by now. I guess it must be in the bank. So. Yeah, I mean, he is one of the good ones. Yeah, I mean, in, in mm. terms of the visual style, the ones yeah. that he's done, they're all mm. very exciting to look at. I think. Yes. Yeah. So I think yeah, because I I love the I love the scene when they're in the um in the tunnel, and the lights are flicking on the torch and stuff, and you got the angels sort of like zooming up even closer. Because he, mm. he does a lot of like nice nice angles that um really make you feel uncomfortable in that situation. It makes it feel really claustrophobic in the tunnels and stuff. Mm. Yeah, I think I think yeah, his direction's brilliant. Uh, I mean, he did the two at the end of the previous season. I mean, uh, for all that people have problems with those two, yeah. it's not the visuals that are the issue. It's, it, you know, no, it's, no. Uh, it's other things. I mean, yeah. I, I, I would say sort of the Jodie Doctor Who era is the most beautifully shot. Yeah. Mm. I mean, the production value is just so sky high. It's yeah. fabulous. Like, you know, because they, you know, they got to keep up with stuff for Netflix and Disney Plus and all that mm. jazz. And it, I think it does stand up to it. It really mm. does. Hmm, I'd agree. Now, the thing I want to bring up Go on, then. is, and I'm not sure whether this is um, anything that anyone else has any opinions on, is this episode five? Uh, sorry, of what? Of Flux. Oh. Apparently, there, apparently there's a behind-the-scenes clapperboard that shows it being listed as episode five. Oh, right. I see. Not That's right, isn't four. it? It's, 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 four, it's four in the sequence. No, this, this, is, oh, is, this is broadcast as episode four, sorry, yeah. Yeah. But there is a there's yeah. a clap, oh, there's a clapperboard that shows it being episode five, right? And oh. there are all sorts of I'm, I can't I can't claim credit entire credit for this. John Bloom has on Gally Base has sort of pointed this out and said okay. there are weird things about this, and they partially partially may explain the weird interpolations of the Bell and Vinda stuff okay. into this, oh. and all sorts of things. And the more I the more I was looking at it on rewatching, I was thinking this does feel like it would be I mean the the Jody turning into an angel thing 
if that if that doesn't feel like a penultimate episode cliffhanger yeah. of a yeah. series, then I don't know what so does. So remind me what happens in Survivors of the Flux, uh, the next one. Well, there's a lot of mucking about on a spaceship, isn't there? Yeah, as he points out, there's a circuit. There's a circular loop plot for the for the companions just to get to meet up with, um, old what's his name oh, in the yes. tunnels. There's the Great Serpent and Kate Stewart. Oh yeah. yeah. Or Great oh, Serpent yeah. interfering with unit history stuff, which again is possibly okay. surplus to. So his so his theory, based on the fact that, or springboarding from the fact that there is apparently behind the scenes footage which shows them. Shows a clapperboard where this was marked as episode five when they were filming it. Mm-hmm. His theory is that basically they filmed they filmed the series in two blocks, one of which was directed by Jerry Magnus Stone, which was the first two episodes, plus this, mm-hmm. and then there's the rest. And if and if it was written later, then his his theory is that basically Chibnall wrote episode six and found that it was he had about twice as much, or you know, he had about an hour and a half of material in it or too much material to fit into the available space right where that falls down for me is that you'd think well wouldn't you just go to the bbc and say can i have an extra long mm. episode or, or hire a really good editor mm. but the fact that there's these these sort of circular things inserted yeah. into the existing episode five the fact and the, the really weird fact is because you think well that's the least of your problems to change is the fact that is the fact that the stuff in the the Bell and Vinda stuff in this feels like it should be in an episode called Survivors of the Flux more than um, <laughs> more than what we actually get in yeah. episode yeah. five. <laughs> but you'd think well changing the you know, changing the title is the least of your worries. I mean it all falls down to I mean there's that rumour around, isn't there, that this was meant to be more than six episodes anyway, and mm. because of covid and whatever it yeah. got shrunk and stuff so you think how much of that if it did happen had yeah. an impact on sort of what you were you were saying you know or did they have to effectively lose an episode from flux in order to have the yeah. have the centenary special at the end as an extra to the, mm. when they were asked mm. to do that but you would think that would be an additional commission <clears throat> but it's interesting because the other thing that does relate to it that made me think okay maybe there's something to it but it could have just been insurance, is obviously the Halloween apocalypse was made to go out on, on Halloween. Mm. And, ov- and obviously this has three references to the date on which it was actually broadcast, 21st of November. Mm. Yeah, it's the same day in 1967 that this was actually airing. Uh, okay. But the three, times that, the three times that that is mentioned in dialogue, it's never on screen. There are, cut, there are cutaways to other... Yeah, it's ADR, isn't it? Right. And okay. sometimes very egregious cutaways to, you know, just a, literally enough time for someone to say 21st of November and then it cuts back to, <laughs> yeah. cuts back to the couch saying 1967. So it could have just been put, up, put, put together like that for insurance purposes. Mm. But on the other hand, on the other hand, if they were doing an episode that was set on Halloween, they must have been pretty confident they, were, they weren't going to be able to repair that. So you think, well, why, why do belts and braces on something that's far less? Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't have really mattered if this had gone out on the twenty eighth of November and had reference to the wrong date or whatever. Mm. But it certainly looks like it's ADR, and mm. and has possibly been been changed, and had a very late edit to accommodate them bringing it, you know, bringing it into line with a 
a new air date or an air date after they filmed yeah. it. So, so I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting what if. It's again, it's probably one of these things that we'll never know the never know the answer to. Well, and it does beg yes. the question about what um yeah which which original episode disappeared if there was if there was one that just yeah. just just a um standalone somewhere else. I mean, it feels like it could, that that could have then been a pattern, couldn't it? You could, you could have had one which was like a smorgasbord, two was the Santarans, three mm. was a thing, and then uh, oh, anyway, but, but they, they, there was there's no Santar, there's no Cybermen, are there? And Cybermen are kind of built up as being a thing. But they, I mean, yeah. they do appear very briefly in something or other, but you don't get. You sort of felt like there was going to be a Cyberman oh, yeah. episode, didn't you? I wonder if I wonder if that went by the. Well, one, two, one, two, and this one are the fairly are the relatively standalone ones. Yeah. Yeah. And three, five, and six are the very yes. arc-heavy yes. ones that were shot yeah. later. And the other thing is that because this is over over length, it's whatever it is. It's almost an hour long, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those cases where if you if you cut out those three scenes with Bell and Vinda, you'd end up with a fifty-minute episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which again looks a bit suggestive, but anyway, food for thought. Okay, anyone got other stuff they want to talk about? This, I've got some linky stuff to sort of chew over, but I've got two small Go on, production details. Mm-hmm. One is just a minor. When they're standing facing the barrier, you can see the mark in the grass that they've put for the actors as reference so they know where to stand. I noticed that on rewatch. But a more interesting thing, there is a scene where Claire comes in, turns and faces a mirror, Mm -hmm. and she walks towards the mirror, puts her head down, I think there's a, is there a bass in there? Yes, yeah. And then as she lifts... Oh, the wings, yeah. Yeah, 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 the camera pushes in and she grows her wings, right? In that shot, the camera is directly facing the mirror and she walks into shot between the camera and the mirror and there is no camera in the reflection of the mirror, which there would be Mm -hmm. because the camera is behind her, right? Does that make sense? Watch that scene again. The way it's staged, there is a wall with a mirror, but the mirror is an aperture. It's a window. So the real actor of Claire walks in behind the aperture. A body double walks in front. So Claire Claire is playing her reflection only. Sorry, I don't know the actual actor's name. And so very carefully in sync, the body double and the real Claire put their heads down. They're not quite perfectly in sync, but it's close enough that you don't notice if you're just watching it once. And then the body double steps away and then the camera just shoots her as she stands up and then VFX puts the wings in. But it's very beautifully done and it's very clever. And there was a similar shot done in Terminator 2 that was cut (laughs) which uses Linda Hamilton's twin sister. Mm-hmm. So you actually see the oh, facial reflection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a real shame they didn't use it, but they used it so that they could have a prosthetic Arnold Schwarzenegger in the foreground, having his brain scooped out, and Arnie was playing his reflection, and Linda Hamilton's twin was 
playing her reflection and it's very neatly done but yes this was an extension of that same principle oh, so that's a, it was a very nicely done oh, shot good lord how the magic works eh yeah mm. <laughs> thank you and it's funny because because she grows angel wings your brain just says well they presumably took the camera out with yeah. VFX because mm. <laughs> you, you just think well I guess that would be the easiest thing but no the cheap the, the easiest thing is to not spend any money on expensive post-production if you don't absolutely have to you've already got put angel wings yeah. in that shot do it a simpler way so we've we've talked already i guess about the fact that we've got two villages that are cut off by barriers we've got churches we've got vicars we've got bits that are in darkness and we've got animated statues we get companions cut off from the doctor and each other i mean primarily in the demons it's the brigadier but but um, you have the some of them the wrong side of the barrier from each other. We've got ancient and dangerous enemies. So you've got the demon, you've got the angels. They sort of inhabit a similar sort of ground. Mm-hmm. You've also got the master and you've got division as well, sort of, you know, so elements from the doctor's past who are sort of getting themselves mixed up in the whole thing and making it more complicated. The doctor can't defeat the enemy. And, you know, so in the demons, it's Joe who steps in and sorts stuff out if joe didn't do that the doctor's dead and it's all over and i guess similarly here you know the the angels have got the doctor at the end and had it not been for the fact that tech Tayun waves a magic wand or something at the start of the next one then the the doctor's an angel Mm. you've got you've got these two snug areas that feel safe but really aren't so you've got the pub in the demons which is actually bert's domain and he's spying on them the whole time and you know, they, they're not remotely safe, but they feel like they're safe there. And similarly, within Jericho's house, you've got this, you know, it feels like they're safe, but actually the, the, the angels are able to get in and, and they're having to run out in the end quite quickly. You've, you've got the whole, oh, you, I think you've mentioned this before, you've got the whole village coming together, you know, in the May Festival in, in Demons and, and I guess earlier with, with the master bringing them together. And you've also got them searching for, for Peggy in this second one. So you, you've got that sort of, event that gets everyone together and they're both part of wider arc stories so you know the the demons is the end of the five-part master season probably the archiest the doctor who's been up to this point and uh, and this is part of the six-part um, flux story and i'll give you one more that's sort of out of universe which is that they're both written by the showrunner and one other person mm. 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 So I was linktastic this week. Oh, uh, the the, um, <laughs> the angels are patient, but Azal isn't. Stunned into silence. Any final yes. thoughts? I'm not sure we can add much to that. <laughs> well, I was just pondering whether, I mean, he's been he's been asleep for a hundred thousand years, so he's he's shown some small amount of patience, if that counts. <laughs> patience or just laziness. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. It's like a long lie-in, isn't yeah. it? Just waiting. Power nap. Yeah, waiting for his parcel to be. Well, hang on though, Atlantis. <laughs> what happened, uh, was was that was Atlantis someone different? Hmm? Was Atlantis someone different then? Oh, Atlantis. Yeah, because because they finished off Atlantis because they got bored with them. Oh yeah. That definitely wasn't a hundred thousand BC. I don't know. No. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why they they just decide to destroy stuff that they don't like. But anyway, I suppose, <laughs> I suppose it's, it's up to them, isn't it? They can do it. I'm like that. Yep. Just smash it. 
I'm like that with podcasts that don't work. <laughs> Just delete them. Is that it? I can't think of anything. Nothing. That's fine. No, I mean, look, look, no, no, no worries. I mean, it is, it is very nearly midnight, so that's fine. I've done the dog. Yeah. <laughs> How did the dog feel about it? <laughs> no, the dog, the dog in the graveyard. Hey. hey. the joke. Dog in the graveyard. The count, the counting stuff. Of course, it's not. Yeah, not a, it's a shame that Carvinista wasn't in it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not really relevant to this episode, but tangentially, the impact of that cliffhanger and the um, the disappointment by the resolution the following week yeah. are inversely <laughs> proportional. Mm. It's such a shame. I mean, I don't know where you go with that cliffhanger anyway, in a best case scenario, but to just, you know, undo it. I mean, I would have at least given her half a story as an angel yeah. Yeah. and then maybe sorted yes. it out later mm. rather than, yeah, as you said, yeah. like magic wand, like, ah, oh, fixed. <laughs> Build the tension, yeah. make it seem like it's a real yeah. problem rather than just a, you know, she got on the bus, she got on the angel bus <laughs> and she popped off the other end. <laughs> Sounds like something at Glastonbury, the angel bus. <laughs> <laughs> I can't look at that uh, passenger mask oh my anymore. god having seen it on wish or whatever it was oh amazing <laughs> absolutely this? amazing passenger's mm. face is an off the shelf plastic mask what absolutely identical okay it's like 12 dollars or yeah. something oh good lord <laughs> and you just and it it, it, it unbelievable uh, okay it, it, it's, it's like giving your your best monster a sink plunger isn't it <laughs> okay well look thanks thanks um for uh, spending your time ch- chatting about these two stories i mean it's uh, I, I think we've uh we've we've, we've learnt a little from each other tonight and uh, i think we've probably just about teased as much as it's possible to, to be teased out of these two um but it's been fun doing it if you've enjoyed listening to us then it would be great if you would mention that to to other people so we get the benefit of their listening ears too if you if you're able to put a, a review on apple podcasts that would be fantastic and indeed anywhere else that you review podcasts that would be that'd be great and we'll speak to you again probably in about a month's time but for now thanks for listening and goodbye 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 bye Here's a clip from my other podcast. Hi Richard, what are you up to? Oh, hello Emily. I was just checking up on the download numbers for our last episode. Oh my gosh, Richard, you're obsessed with stats. Well, maybe, but but how else are we going to get rich? Um, how are we going to get rich? Well, look, I mean, finance is your speciality, but I guess it's through all the downloads. But we're giving them away for free? We're doing what? Yes, Richard, it's a podcast. People listen for free but they still get something from it, and we enjoy making them. This is weird. So, so what you're saying is we, we can create value by giving something away for free? Yep, and we've got a guest who knows all about that.
episode, we're joined by Claire, who's worked in a number of public sector and voluntary roles, including some senior roles in the civil service. Hello, Claire, and welcome to If It's Hurting, It's Not Working. It's great to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you. It's really great to, to be here. In the civil service, you worked on a number of initiatives that people will have heard of, like the Millennium Dome and Northern Ireland Peace Process and latterly Brexit. And you worked with politicians whose names will be familiar to our listeners. Claire, what was your first job? So my first job was working in the local ironmonger's shop, uh, which was like an Aladdin's cave. It's just full of every possible gadget and household appliance DIY thing, fishing accessories, maggots, everything. Um, and I was surrounded by some really wise and knowledgeable people, and I learned a lot doing that. And then my first job after university was as a locum epidemiologist. So what did that involve? That that caught my attention there. So that, that was about supporting the director of public health in looking at disease management and preventative health within the area. So it's a word that people become more familiar with over the last couple of years with COVID than they ever were before. Okay, so so what's been your favourite job? And and if you can maybe tell us why that was. It's quite a tricky one because I think I've been very lucky and I've had a lot of jobs I've really, really loved doing. And I was thinking about what makes a good job. And for me, it's a combination of having a boss who's supportive and and inspiring, a role that feels interesting and worthwhile and where you feel you're making a valuable contribution and you're working with a good team of colleagues and staff. So one thing that, that Emily and I were keen to ask you about, because it, you know it's outside our experience, was what it's like to work on programmes and in jobs with people that are in the public eye. Well, I suppose to start with, it's a bit startling. And I can remember the first time I heard a minister read out in Parliament something that I drafted in his speaking notes, thinking, wow, those are my words. I wrote that. And then seeing those words quoted in the newspaper is really quite surreal. What do you think could be your your secret of success, Claire? In the classroom at the moment, the secret of my success is Beth and Badger. (laughs) Uh, Because I found that children are far more inclined to follow instructions and want to impress a small badger than a fat middle-aged woman. So that has been surprisingly, surprisingly useful. But from my professional career, thinking back on the feedback I've had, I think two quotes from people who've worked in my teams over the years. One as part of my 360 feedback said it was inspiring and refreshing to work for a boss who we know won't bullshit us. Mm-hmm. And the other one said to me one evening, Claire, we love you because you're a real person. And I think the point that comes from both of those comments, which certainly chimes with how I tried to be as a leader and now as a teacher, is the importance of authenticity. And perhaps it does all come down to keeping it real. You missed the opportunity for some kind of elemental joke, which has just occurred to me. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard them all before. You, Go back you, and write you, one you in. Know, you say, you say, opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, delete podcast. <laughs> the elemental, the elemental forces brought to this podcast. Uh. Trying to work out an opportunity to say stir your stumps, but um, <laughs> apparently it was an improvised line by Pertwee for the, uh, right. the old slideshow thing. No, Paul told us to wait him for fuck's sake. Sorry. <laughs> See, the wine doesn't make any difference. Uh. <laughs> oh, God, sorry. It's so good working with professionals, isn't it? Where's Paul? I don't know. Maybe we should go and look for him. 
Sorry, my screen just turned itself off as I was about to read my line. <laughs> Siri, turn power saving mode off. Uh, a scheduling issue means that Paul is sadly missing this time, but you know we'll hope we'll hope you. Uh, wish I could speak tonight. We hope he'll be back soon. <laughs>